Welcome to Brand Appeal, where we talk about brand storytelling in the digital age. I'm Shannon Peel, and today I'm talking with Bijou. She is a personal brand coach who helps her clients to uncover those issues that may be blocking them from telling their brand story online and giving them the confidence to do so. Hello, Bijou. Thank you very much for joining me today on Brand Appeal, where we talk about brand storytelling in the digital age. Can you tell my listeners a little bit about you? Because you've got some interesting ways of looking at brand and how to help people show up for their brand. Yeah, thank you again for having me on here. So I originally went to school for fashion merchandising and marketing. Uh, I was always obsessed with why people buy or why people are interested in brands. I love the aesthetic side of things. Like why are they moved by your visuals or your messaging to actually want to be associated with your brand or spend their hard-earned money on it? Um, I kind of went from that to content creation where I had a video production company. It turned into a lot of consulting on the brand side of things. So they felt prepared and ready to spend money on creating content to get their messaging and brand out there. I started noticing that there was a lot of blocks behind people feeling ready and prepared and enthusiastic about putting their stuff out there, even though they really had a desire to. And me personally, I also had the same blocks. I mean, it was easy for me to tell people, oh, just get in front of the camera, you'll be fine. And and I was like, how can I tell people to just get over their fears if I don't currently have that power myself? And so that's kind of where I got into interesting methods of trying to figure out the ways to go about that. A lot of it was a brain hack. Uh, How can I feel better about myself? How can I feel like my brand is polished enough? How can I feel like I'm being authentic with my message to where I want to scream it off the mountaintops? And all of that came with a lot of work and trying a bunch of different things and going down a bunch of different paths to where I finally got to this point where I wanted to use things that might be a little bit um, unorthodox or taboo to be able to utilize that kind of power to get people okay with that. It's this weird mashup of coaching and support and utilizing breathwork and sessions and potentially different plant medicines to get people past their mental blocks. What are those blocks that most people are coming up against? Ooh, that's a good one. There are a million out there, unfortunately. And that's what's so interesting about my sessions is that we go super deep into the subconscious where people are like, I have no idea why I have this block, but then we find that perhaps maybe a family member or someone in their past at one point talked badly about people that were wanting the limelight and putting themselves out there, or they called people showboats or something like that. And so that is like this subconscious block that someone might have about wanting to show up for their brand and wanting to put themselves out online. Or maybe they saw someone put themselves out on the line and be authentic and be vulnerable. And then the internet maybe ripped them apart. And and that was traumatizing in itself to watch and made them scared to do that. Or perhaps they have imposter syndrome. They really believe that who are they to show up in that in that world where there are people that are more qualified and are doing a better job than them? So there's a ton of different ways that people have these uh, little insecurities or past traumas that are really affecting their movement forward. Yeah, and it's not just the little guy either. I come across this with CEOs of large corporations who are phenomenal leaders, have something amazing to teach the world. And they think, well, no, nobody wants to hear from me. And Mm -hmm. actually, yeah, we do. Because first off, you have a job that most people don't have. Mm -hmm. And people want to know how you got there. Oh, yeah. And how to get there. I find that a lot of people out there saying, hey, I'm a thought leader. They're actually just influencers because they don't have the experience to back up what they're doing, what they're saying. They're just parroting what they've read. When it comes to brands nowadays, how can they be authentic? 
Well, that's a really good point too. It's um, it's feeling with conviction that you have something to offer. And unfortunately, that's something that I've found on some of my sessions where I have to be really frank with people that it feels as though you don't really love this. And that might be a reason why you're coming against a wall. It's something that sounds like it would be fun to do, but you really haven't given the 10,000 hours or whatever it is to feel really like an authority on this. So maybe go back to the drawing board for a minute. Um, that That's definitely something that happens. But uh, if you have kind of been obsessed with it and you do love it and you do feel like you're adding value to the world and the people around you, then really leaning into that and understanding, okay, what's my own secret sauce? Like what's my interesting path that has led me to this point that I can polish together to really offer everyone? So what setbacks did I come over in the past and, and what trainings have I taken myself and what is my aesthetic and the, the message that I concoct to get people interested in what I have going on because one of the biggest things that brands offer and what people offer is merely inspiration. Um, telling your story can be that one thing that got someone up off their couch that really did something amazing for the world too. You're right. It doesn't matter where you are on your journey in entrepreneurship or business. Everybody has this like gnawing fear that they aren't going to be enough or their story is not going to be interesting, but it's all relative. You never know if your individual story is going to be something that's going to inspire this guy that has something similar that you have gone through. So I would say experience and then just like loving what you do enough to spend a lot of time on it. And I mean a lot, a lot of time, like three years, five years, seven years, 20 years, and and just like giving it your all. Yeah. That's the, the confidence comes from that, I think. Yes, there's that Malcolm Gladwell book, uh, The Outliers. Mm -hmm. And I was listening to it with my son in the car and it was talking about that 10,000 hours that people put in in order to become experts, in order to become the best in their fields. Of course, you know, Malcolm Gladwell's talking about the real amazing outliers who were doing it when they were kids. They're, they were doing the 10,000 hours before they turned 20, right? And my 20-year-old son looked at me and goes, well, I'm screwed. <laughs> you can start at any time just because you haven't didn't start at 10 doesn't mean that you can't still become this amazing expert and do those 10,000 hours. It's just a little bit harder because you have to adult. There is like a people that I looked up to and I would look at their benchmarks and I would say, oh, she's 35, I'm 34 and she's already done all of this. Like I'm not Sofia Amoroso or anything like that. And that was hindering to me. It did make me feel like, why am I gonna try to start now if if I wanna be that and she's already accomplished so much. Yeah, that's a really good point. Unfortunately, I think our society or American especially is like, hurry up and figure out what you wanna do before you even reach the age of 30. And then if you got it wrong and you invested all this money into your schooling, then you feel obligated to finish off with something that you don't really love. Whereas some of my friends in Denmark, they don't figure it out until their 30s. And then they get really into it. Like they just know who they are at that point and can really just go deep in with whatever their love is. And so it's like, which one's better? I, I don't know. Uh, starting as a prodigy when you're 10 or when you're a little bit more aware of what you actually love when you're 30. I don't know which one is right. Being a prodigy is a lot of stress and a lot of, my, both my kids are very smart. My son is, um, had a lot of pressure on expectations and people expecting him to, not just, not just me, but his teachers would be like, wow, this kid is amazing. He is off the charts. And one day he said to me, he goes, you know what? I just wish, I wish everybody would just leave me alone. It's too much pressure to have these expectations put on me because I don't know. And I don't want to sit in front of a computer all day long. Yeah, sure. I might be good at that, but I don't think it's what I want to do. 
-hmm. he has all this pressure on himself saying I'm I'm almost 25 and I haven't done A, B, C, D, E, or F. And I'm like, I have double that. (laughs) I haven't even done one of those things. Mm -hmm. But we have this, the top 30 under 30 and the top 40 under 40. And we are all about age and youth. We don't have the top 50 under 50. Once you get to 40, everyone's like, well, you know, we, we, we want to hire younger. We want to invest in younger. We want to, it's really interesting and you aren't prepared for it when you get there because you just don't believe that there is such a thing as ageism. You know, you look at the people above you and that are your managers. You think, well, they're older. So when I get older, I'll be there. And yes, you will be there, but not everyone will be there. If you've got 10 people in a department and only one manager, where are the other nine go? And that's where a lot of people uh, start becoming entrepreneurs, start becoming business owners and consultants and really having to reinvent themselves because their value in corporate America or Canada didn't enable them to go up that corporate ladder. Then they come to someone like you or myself and they've got to rebrand themselves. And it's difficult when they have that imposter syndrome, when they're like, well, I didn't make it up. I didn't make it over here. And now I've got to try and make it over here. Mm -hmm. Or they feel like they're too young and they don't know enough. I love that you're bringing this up. I don't think that anyone has ever brought this up to me, especially on a podcast. And my message to that person would be, I know it's scary, it's easier to go with a brand that's already established that you can kind of just associate yourself with. But that's why I love working with entrepreneurs so much because I think that they are the fabric, the true fabric of what creates a community. And you can really, if you kind of get past your little mental blocks, you can have a much richer experience than Mm -hmm. potentially if you did being a number in a big corporation. I would say like you didn't mess up. You just have a completely different path now that with some guidance and some support, you can really do something that is completely different than what everyone else is doing out there. And that should make you excited rather than feel less than or worried or sad that you didn't get somewhere that you thought that you wanted to because your upbringing really only showed you one potential outcome. Mm-hmm. And what I really like for the younger generation, like my children are the Z generation and you're the millennial generation, is your parents and my kids' parents didn't have jobs that lasted a lifetime, like my parents. Well, actually, my parents' jobs didn't last a lifetime. At 40, they both lost their jobs at the same year. But, you know, that was the beginning of the end of lifelong employment. Like we were told you'll have four, three or four jobs, three or four different careers. Your generation and my son's generation will have witnessed that in their families and understand that you have to be flexible and you have to be able to go from, you know, maybe working in at a corporation to working at a small business to working for yourself or working back in a corporation again. And corporations are going to have to be a little bit more open and and some really are some really are open to bringing people who have different experiences non-corporate experiences into those leadership roles to try and take their departments down a different pathway which is great those ones are amazing but there are those ones that do look to promote from within and those are amazing as well because if you want a job and you want and you want to know what your corporate ladder is going to be you need to have that support but everyone has their own personal brand now and I don't think people understand that either Mm -hmm. so even if you aren't an entrepreneur Mm -hmm. they need to come to someone like you who can help them get through those blocks in order to move themselves forward. I I work with people all the time, just like you do, who are looking for work. They call me and they're like, okay, so what do I do now? Because I've been there. They're talking to me because I've been there and I've done, I mean, I wrote an article all about this job search give you PTSD and yes, it does. They call me because they want to know how to change their messaging, how to you know, when they're telling their stories in an interview, how do they write their resume? That's all personal branding stuff. 
Mm -hmm. Now, do you work with people in that way too? Because you do something a little different than me because I don't really get into that. I don't go deep into what blocks you. Mm -hmm. I just say, let's get it done. Yeah, so before I started um, really trying to help heal some people in, in that sense, it was mostly just working on the personal brand or the personal and or business brands that they might have a, a few of. But you're absolutely right. I mean, I work with people that were super high up in corporate America or entrepreneurs that were huge and owned corporations. And they were so focused on building their empires that once they finally got to a point where everything was kind of running smoothly, they really wanted to do more of the public speaking or creating content and and not, I mean, some of them, it was almost like um, a retirement fund and some of them it was like I'm plenty rich but I'm like kind of bored and I want to I want to inspire more people and I want to get booked for speaking jobs and I want to be able to write a book with a ghostwriter and I want to do this and that but they had never focused on their personal brand like they didn't even show up online in any capacity and that was very safe and comfortable for them um, especially when you get high up there you're afraid to put your name out there because you never know what the press will say about you but if you've made it cleanly to the top and now you kind of want to put yourself out there where you decide what people say about you mm -hmm. rather than the press writing whatever they want about you then you do have to have a strategy and you do have to have support and you do have to have vision for how you want to come across and what your legacy is going to be the legacy piece, like I have clients that are doing just that, you know, they retire from corporate America and they want to go into the speaking circuit. Now the speaking circuit is definitely changing and we're looking at how we're going to do that now. But a big piece of what you're saying is it goes from the traditional news telling your story and pointing fingers at something that you've done to you having control over your story by submitting to the new media and talking to people on podcasts and, or even having your own podcast. I've got a client that was the CEO of a major company and he had his own podcast mm -hmm. or your own blog, or you submit guest blog. You get interviewed by press in a very, they, they need the content, they need the feel good story and you become that story. Mm -hmm. And working yeah, and with someone like, right, yeah, and working with comes up at the top. <laughs> yeah, it's working with you and myself. That's what people need when they're thinking, okay, now how do I do this? I knew how to write, write, run a company, but I don't know how to tell my story properly or where to even put it in order to get to where I need to go in a relatively short period of time. Mm -hmm. A lot of times, I find they don't want to really bank on that experience. They don't want to bank on the fact that that's what they did before. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's the thing is that it is work. It turns almost into somewhat of a full-time job depending on how much you want to do yourself versus getting mm -hmm. support. But you're right, if you, if you do it right, you can come across all of the platforms in a really beautiful way. And it's a strategy to be like, how do I want to come across? How am I going to get that across? What platforms are appropriate for me and my story, whether it be LinkedIn or a TED Talk or whatever it is, is really understanding the right version of you. And then after a little bit of work, it's nice to sit back and let people Google you and all of your curated beauty come up at the top of the, the search screen. So I don't know, it's it's all really interesting to me. They, they're used to a lot of hard work and pulling their brand out of nothing over the years that they feel like they might have PTSD that they're gonna have to do that for themselves. Mm -hmm. And it come, becomes a little too personal. Like it was easy for me to come up with this random logo and name and brand because if I ever needed to, I could separate myself That's from right. that. But when you're the brand and you're the story, that's when all of these these little voices come out. And that's why I kind of shifted because I personally needed that myself. So I went down the journey of how am I gonna help myself? And when I started working on some types of like programs for myself and started seeing how much it helped, then I started kind of including that in some of my work with people. And it was really transformative. I don't know, some of the, 
clients that I've had at the end, they're like, God, I'm so glad that I did this because if I hadn't, I feel like my story would have maybe been lost mm-hmm. to the wayside if I had gone away. I've had people come up and tell me, you inspired me. And that is just this richness that you get from your story and from your experience that goes past maybe some of your other accomplishments. So I don't know, that's why I've gotten really in love with this work because I do feel like some people worked their butts off to get to this point. And if they tell their story correctly, then it's like this added like cherry on top of their experience. Mm -hmm. And I always tell people, no one should tell their own, no one should tell their own story, not even me. (laughs) You know, I've gone to a lot of pitch deck uh, events where a business owner will get up to tell his, his company story in order to get financing. And one thing I always find is that most of them stand up and start telling the story that they think is important and go about it so convoluted, they lose the audience and nobody knows why they should invest in the company mm-hmm. because they don't know how to tell a story. Yeah, that's and a really it, good point. Well, and then the other problem is, is that these other companies look to the companies before them and, you know, oh, Uber, Uber did it this way. We're going to do it this way too. Mm-hmm. Well, Uber had a really unique story and some really amazing relationships that got it to be successful. Mm-hmm. Do you have those amazing relationships that will overlook the way mm-hmm. that you tell your story, that will overlook a bad pitch deck? Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are all little pearls that everyone has. And if they don't string them correctly, it is a jumbled mess that no one could wrap around their neck and mm-hmm. or wrap their heads around. So it, it, you're right, it's, it's this art to telling your story the right way. And even being authentic enough to, this is one big thing that I help people with is tell the icky part of your story in the way that you want to tell it too, because it's going to come out. And if you completely leave it out and someone brings it up, it makes you look inauthentic and it makes you look like you're hiding things. And so uh, it's very hard for people to understand, to do that for themselves if they don't have support. Someone like you or me to say, it's okay. We are all human, things happen. Let's tell it in this way. So it's at least brought to the to the forefront in the light that you would like. It's sticky. There's all these little facets to the diamond that everyone is and without the proper polishing, it can not sell for as much. <laughs> <laughs> or not get the following that it wants or not be- uh, The impact that it Yeah, the have. impact. You know, cause what it comes down to, what you're talking about is who controls the story. Mm-hmm. If you tell the story, you control the story. Mm-hmm. If you don't tell the story and somebody else brings it up, they control the story. And it's very important when you, because I mean, we've all gone through bad, bad things and we've all made mistakes. And I call it the mud pit of life. We've all been there. The older you get, the deeper the mud pit. <laughs> so you tell those stories though from a place of success. Mm-hmm. You tell those stories not during the time when you're all emotionally feeling horrible and you just vent it all out there because it's just miserable. You really need to know when to tell the story, how to tell the story, and there has to be a lesson. There has to be some sort of inspiration, motivation that someone's going to look at that and go, you know what, if they could do it, I can too. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes, 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 yes. You are so right. And that's the, the healing, uh, whether you use sessions or breath work or anything that you want, you do need to heal some of the wounds that happen on your come up. Because if you're not healed by them, it's going to be very hard for you to be frank about them or to express them in a in a way that doesn't make you look still hurt by them. And and that's the thing is that we do have a lot of stigma around failure. And that's why it's so hard for people to tell their, their story of failure. It's always these overnight successes that everyone wants to hear because it's the easy story to tell. 
nowadays, people want the truth. They want that uh, grit that it took. They want to know the hardships that you came through. But you're right. If you're telling them from a place of this happened to me and oh my God, it was horrible. Not only are you kind of diluting your power when you tell a story, but you're also kind of like scaring the up and comers. It's got to be this nice blend of this is what happened to me and this is how I overcame it. This is what it did for me in my life because that's all failures are, these wonderful lessons, but it's that meat and potatoes. Like people only want to talk about the meat and they don't want to talk about the potatoes, but without both of them, it's not really well balanced and people can tell, especially nowadays, we all have a big BS filter and uh, we're over just hearing about the good things that happened because it's just not gonna happen like that for everyone else. And so that's when they start feeling like, why am I seeing so much hardship when it looks like they had such an easy go of it? Yeah, yeah. and we wanna be able to identify with our heroes now. Well, I was having a conversation with someone yesterday and they were saying the anti-hero seems to be the big story. Every like all the, all the stories that are coming out of Hollywood and heroes are flawed. Superman has is more flawed than Kryptonite. You know, we seem to enjoy these flawed characters. We've been talking about personal branding and helping entrepreneurs. Maybe we should talk about the difference between personal brand, but there's also the business brand. Mm-hmm. How tied to who you are as a person should your business brand be to you? That's such a good question. My personal take on that is I um, started multiple businesses and I'm glad I learned the lesson the way that I did, but I was so entrenched in it. I was this girl that owned this boutique. I was this girl that had this documentary. It was such a part of who I was that whenever that business closed and and that documentary was no longer on Netflix, you're kind of like, well, then who am I if I cannot say I'm this person anymore? It is a balance. Like you do want to understand who you are as standalone and your core values should emulate what your business's core values. Just so, I mean, you're going to stay with it and it's going to be who you are, but your employees and your consumers or customers or clients are not going to be able to cling on to your personal brand as much as they could potentially your business brand just because they can see themselves in that. They can associate themselves with that. And so those are those like little nuances that I think people should understand that just because you had uber success with this brand and maybe it's harder for you to come up with your personal brand, It don't take it to heart because because someone loves your skincare line doesn't mean that they totally resonate with your story and that's okay. You can have a smaller tribe around who you are as a person and not be a failure. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's gotta be that separation just because as you said, we are going to have so many different iterations of ourselves living to 80 now. You could have multiple businesses, work at multiple places and you don't wanna become so entangled with all of that, that if something does happen, you have a hard time kind of pulling away from it. So yeah, I mean, I try to help people figure out what that looks like. How are you an on-ramp to this brand? But how do you not get so known as that one thing that you pigeonhole yourself and you can't move on to something else and also be an on-ramp for that as well? And without that vision and clarity, it's gonna be easy for you to get sucked into some of those things. And then you kind of have to go against the water on that uh, to be able to move freely. And so really having support on what does this look like? What are all the different paths that you have coming up that you can kind of prepare yourself for, if that makes any sense? Yeah, it does. Because if you're building a business, you don't want to lose your your name. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a hockey player here who, or was it a basketball player? I think it was a basketball player. He had a, a gym. And then he sold that gym, not understanding that he also sold his name. Mm. The name was the, was the value of the gym. Mm-hmm. And then that became a real legal battle. Mm-hmm. Or Arianna Huffington, who sold the company, but at least she was smart enough to say, okay, well, I'm not selling my name. Mm-hmm. You, you get the company, but you have to call it something else. Mm-hmm. 
and they shortened it to Huff Post. So you still know that it's Huffington Post, but she was smart enough to, well, she's a smart lady, <laughs> very smart lady. So you can be a part of your brand, mm-hmm. but you do have to have an exit strategy. You do have to have some sort of arm's length away from it. Or what's his name? Richard Branson. You can look at every virgin brand, but he's not virgin. You know, mm-hmm. my virgin phone, well, I canceled my virgin phone, cell phone, because of how they treated me. But it's very important to understand that that's, that's this company's way of doing something because when I was writing about the the story of what happened with me in Virgin Cell Cellular someone said well message Richard Branson that's his brand and I'm like well no actually Richard Branson is his own brand and this is a company that has signed his name on it yeah and that's a big thing with growth like if other people are going to be managing your brand eventually and you do have that vision for that type of size that's where it really gets scary because that's someone else cooking the meal that someone thinks you're cooking, right? Mm-hmm. And, and that's the thing that is like, have the vision. And it's hard because when you're in it, you're in the mud growing that brand. You do kind of lose yourself in it. And that's when you kind of need to say, okay, who am I as an entrepreneur or as a founder? And uh, who is that as a business? And so those are the, the types of separation. And it's it's hard because you want to completely put all of your, your persona and your loves onto that. But then it's even harder when you do sell to feel like you can honestly just let it go or have the separation while you're running it. One of the biggest things whenever I was the boutique owner, I had to almost get myself out of it into another project so I could not strangle hold it so hard. And when I did give it a little bit of room to grow, it did. And those are all big lessons that you learn as an entrepreneur. And being as obsessed with brands as I was, I think I had a little bit of that clarity and especially with the mistakes that I made. But it's very hard if you're not like cognizant of that on your come up to like realize I need to have this space. I need to have that separation. I need to have the vision for where it's going to potentially go. Yeah, because even Bezos has walked away from Amazon. I mean, he still owns it, but that's a little different because he hasn't sold it off. Yeah. But when your day to day all of a sudden changes, it's like your kid grew up and moved out. And trust me, that's extremely hard, especially when you're like, if you're a single mom like I was and your kids grow up and then they move out, it's hard to be left behind. (laughs) So when you sell your business or you walk away from your business, if it is all of who you are, it can be quite quite damaging to yourself when when you let it go. Or or if it keeps growing and you've been left behind. Or the other way around where uh, your brand is so associated with you that you feel like you have too much of a magnifying glass on your life and how you act affects how people will perceive that other brand that's living and breathing by itself. Oh, you mean Elon Musk? (laughs) Yes. Yeah. That that's where you kind of feel like trapped by your brand and its growth. And, And that's the thing is that I don't know if it's just ego or people wanting uh, recognition for the amount of work that they put in, but you clearly over time will see that your close proximity to that is a bit hindering to either the brand or yourself. Mm -hmm. And that's another thing is that having that separation feels weird at first because you want to be known for the hard work that you put in, but then at times it can bite you in the butt again later on. Yeah, yeah, no, Elon Musk is a very good example of that, where his brands are are judged by his behaviors and what he says. It's, uh-huh. it's a little bit too much of a personal brand on, on that. Do you work mainly with personal brands or business brands? So when I was creating content, it was mostly bigger brands, like we were doing like big commercials or um, content packages. So I have experience with big brands, but um, after that, I really loved working with personal entrepreneurs just because I really liked the intimacy of helping them one-on-one. When somebody goes from having a job and they want to start being an entrepreneur or they were just born that way, what do you think they should start with? What should they start with first when they're trying to build that brand? That's a really good question that I recently have some experience in. Um, 
funny that it just recently happened so I can so clearly explain it. Um, an old room, college roommate of mine, she worked so hard uh, to become a nurse. And as most people know, nursing is hard right now. It, and especially if you've been in it for a while, it can be extremely exhausting. And so she was really looking at the, the landscape in her industry to understand I mean, I still love this. I still know so much about it, but do I want to be on the front lines forever? No. So what is my personal exit strategy or how can I potentially become in, into the consulting world or how can I um, work with different up and coming clinics to kind of show them the way? And so that was a really interesting endeavor for me because we looked at what is appropriate for you, but also appropriate for your clients? What are they used to seeing? What is going to evoke a feeling of trust and professionalism? And how can we utilize who you are as Elisa, this person that knows a lot and them being used to brands looking a certain way, prescriptions look a certain way, uh, hospitals look a certain way. You can't completely come off the beaten path in her sense to, to be like uber creative, but you can put your own spin on it. And so it was, who are you? So coming up with a beautiful written like example of who you are to someone and then sometimes even letting that inform what your brand looks like and you should definitely own your name you should be buying yourname.com you should make sure that you google yourself and you look at is your linkedin coming across at the very at the top or your own personal website even if there isn't much on there other than a couple of blog posts and your experience and maybe your resume you just want to come up at the top without this like random picture of you in college that was on this weird little newsletter or something like that actually going through and figuring out if someone looks for me what is going to come across and then having that professional photo, you want professional photos, you want really good headshots, you potentially want a color palette, do you want your LinkedIn or your little website or whatever it is to, to come across super professionally. Um, if you have a very personal Instagram, to potentially you don't want that to be like the thing that comes up at the top. So maybe you make it private for your friends and family only. There's all these little tricks that you can do to make yourself look much more professional to where you could eventually become uh, a consultant or a speaker or uh, something outside of deeply embedded in the industry that you're currently in. Mm -hmm. And it's really important if you are wanting to get out of whatever career that you have that you start doing that while you're still getting paid because it doesn't happen overnight. It takes a lot of work. It's taken me a lot of work just to get where I am. And I am far from where I need to be. It's important that people do really look at that and have a plan for that legacy, that legacy piece. Unless you're like the CEO of Nike mm -hmm. and all of a sudden everybody wants to know who you are you have to establish why somebody would want to even know who you are. What is it about you that makes you, mm -hmm. I always tell people to start with their values, understand those left, right, and center, know what they mean, have examples of stories that have you exemplifying those, those values, and that will attract people with those same values. So at least you're, you know, you're attracting people that will trust you because we trust people who are like us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then you can start working at trying to build a, an audience that isn't as much like you, but first get that core audience. Totally, yeah. I mean, they can't align with you. They don't. They're not going to be um, inspired to hire you or to ask you to speak to their group if they don't know that you're specifically aligned. And and that sometimes scares people because they want to be able to talk to anyone and everyone and work with anyone and everyone, but know in, in all actuality you have to kind of niche down and it's really uncomfortable for some people to to niche down and understand what is my value and what are my core values that will allow me to speak from a place of this is where i bring value
it's a little bit daunting for some, but uh, like you're saying, it, it is a really good tactic to work on all this in the background while you're still getting paid. Sometimes if you kind of like get to the point where you're so fed up that you leave and you're then in this scarcity mentality of, oh my gosh, I have to hurry up and get paid. You might be swayed by the trends or you might look at other people that you're inspired by and try to mimic that because it looks like a viable model and you kind of get away from who you are and you're not going to be able to build this deep down brand over time. So that's a really good point. Like you do want to have an idea of who you are and what you're bringing to the table from the very beginning. Yeah, because otherwise you're just going to take whatever and you and then you end up getting put in a box and you can't get out of that box. People put me in a box. Oh, you're the social media person. Actually, I'm not a social media person. Am I good on social media? Yeah. Can I work it? Yeah. But don't ask me the technical pieces because, yeah, I don't know how to work around that, this, that or the other thing. I just know how to connect with people by telling a story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're like, uh, how do you figure out this algorithm? And I'm like, I, I don't think anyone knows that. You just got to be yourself mm-hmm. on there and you have to be consistent. So yeah, that's a really good point. People love doing that. And then they're just so shocked over time where I'll, I'll meet people again uh, a little bit down the road and they're like, wait, what do you do? I thought you owned a store. And I'm like, my store hasn't been open for like 10 years. <laughs> uh, and, and people just love putting you in these boxes and they could have been utilizing your services for all those years or hired you to speak at their company, but they just kind of put you in that box and put you away. And so that's kind of where you almost have to bring it from the rooftop. And that also makes people uncomfortable. Haven't I said it enough? And you're mm-hmm. like, no, in fact, each person needs to hear it at least seven times for them to recognize that there is a shift in who you are or what you can offer. Yeah, yeah, and I just had a really bad lesson on people need to be told direction. They won't actually go and figure it out. Like you have to lead them down the path, mm-hmm. step by step by step by step. And that's, you know, so I'm building that now where it's like, hey, you want to do this by yourself, but you're not really sure where to start. Here's a guided do-it-yourself program. It'll give you the step-by-step. This is the way to do it because they just really need that step-by-step. It's a fear of well, I don't really know how to do this, so I'm not even gonna guess. <laughs> but most entrepreneurs, those people have no fear of trying things out. They'll click everywhere to figure out how something works mm-hmm. because that's just who they are. However, a lot of people are ending up in business who like to have that to-do list, that mm-hmm. checklist, that this is what I do first and then this is what I do and then this is what I do. So that's why it's so important to have people like you who can go and go, hey, you know what? You need to do this, we're gonna work on this, we're gonna do this, 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 and this, and I'm gonna guide you through that. Have you seen a real increase in the amount of people that are kind of all of a sudden going, you know what, I need to have this brand? Yeah, and and that's kind of why I, I started realizing that I needed two options. I needed something for the person that wants to do it themselves. They just kind of want a little bit of um, a guide to make sure that they feel good, that they checked all those boxes, and then maybe just have, once the work is done, a little bit of input from someone that's far enough away from the brand to give them a little bit of a critique. Whereas some of my clients are like, oh, no, 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 I don't, I want you to hold my hand completely. I want you to work on each of these practices with me. I want to feel really good about it. And there are two different types of people. Absolutely. Not everybody has the means to be able to have that extreme handholding. Um, sometimes they have to kind of like bootstrap their way. And that means walking along a lot of those lines by themselves. But both of those people don't want to use more brain power than they have to because they have way too many things going on. So the easier you make it for people, the easier they will walk down your path. If they can't tell how to get to you, then they're just not going to go down it at all. So that's been big for me. And I'm starting to be better about talking about the importance of that in, in my own life and on my own social media so that people see the I guess, importance of doing that. But I will say more and more people are like, how do you do this? Or why do you do that? And um, do you do your own graphics? Because I'm trying to have my own style now. And, And you kind of like start seeing that people are like, 
I feel a little bit lost, but I understand the importance of this. Mm -hmm. um, and I think more and more people are starting to see as social media helps and curated press helps for people to see, oh, that is a personal brand. And I see the benefit that there is associated with that personal brand. And I want to have something similar. So how do I go about that? Yeah. Now, before we go, you did mention something that I think people will be really interested in knowing about your documentary on Netflix. So what was it about? Okay, yeah, so um, I kind of have been, especially when I was first out of the gate as an entrepreneur, my parents were both entrepreneurs. They had their own businesses. So I think that that kind of helped prime me for it's possible for me to have my own business where as some of my friends were like, never saw their parents maybe in that entrepreneurial world so maybe they were a little bit more concerned about doing it themselves i came out of the gates like with guns blazing but i was also really trying to learn from anyone and everyone that i could it, it kind of worked out where one of my good friends was a race car driver manager racing is one of the only uh, professional sports in the world where someone can pay to play and you obviously have to have quite a bit of money to be able to pay to play in that arena. Um, so if you do, that means you're potentially pretty wealthy from work that you have done or something that you have built. And so we ended up having to create content for a race, which is the 24 Hours of Le Mans, for one of the gentleman drivers is what they're called. And I was just so interested in a gentleman driver, like what is that? And what it is, is um, a very high powered businessman that has the desire to moonlight as a race car driver. And it's the only time that they really have that flow where nothing else matters in their super busy, high powered world, but they can just focus on not dying at 200 miles an hour. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to understand how do you become successful enough to do that? And then how do you use what you've learned on that come up to make you better at driving? Because they are the same thing. They have this parallel to them that each race team is its own brand and it works like a business and they have to be in the flow. And so it was just this interesting mix that I wanted to follow. Selfishly, I wanted to interview all of these super <laughs> awesome entrepreneurs and ask them how they were successful in doing so. so what I did is I pitched the idea that we wanted to follow a couple of these um, gentlemen drivers and learn about them. And one of them was the CEO of Patron Tequila. Another one was a huge one in um, Mexico that now owns a university there. Another one was a man in Canada, uh, Paul De La Lana. I think he has a school, a health school. His name after um, one of the departments in one of, maybe it's Toronto, but Anyway, all wonderful men. It was really fun to interview them. We ended up getting it on Netflix for two years, which was fantastic. I, that was never even one of my goals. And now you can find it on like Apple and, and other things. You can kind of just go to the website to find it if it sounds like something that you're interested in. But well, let's tell people what that website is and the name of it, because I'm pretty sure that anyone listening to this is just really, really interested in seeing this, because I know I am. Okay, cool. Yeah, it's the GentlemanDriverMovie.com and that'll show you all the different places that it's streaming on. And it's funny because when in true document carrying form, uh, we didn't know what the outcome was going to be or how we were going to end it. And it was so wonderful that one of them ended up having this amazing story in his season where he decided to bring a race to Mexico for the first time in a long time. He was the promoter of it. Of it. He was also racing in it. And he had this like nail biting win at the very end that really just made you super excited about getting to know him and watching him win at the end. So. Like, thank goodness that that happened or else I don't totally know how we would have ended the documentary. It was really fun. It was a great project. And I got to travel all over the world. I got to go to Bahrain and London and Mexico and Canada. Um, it was it was beautiful. So how does somebody get into that? Because that is like interesting. You just ask. All I did was ask. I said, do you want to do this? And they said, yes. I didn't have any documentary experience at all. I just wanted to do it and put together a pitch deck and it happened. 
That's amazing. That is an entrepreneurial spirit right there is someone that will go, you know what? Because me, I'm like, okay, that just sounds really exciting. How did you do that? I really want to know. Because you just did it. You don't know. You just did it. Like my mom used to ask me, well, how do you know how to put this business plan together? I'm like, I don't know. I just do. <laughs> just worked on it. <laughs> I just do. It's the way that things work together. Um, this was, it's interesting to see the different types of people in business and they all need different type things in order to build that brand, in order to understand their brand story. And it's great. You know, I mean, you are here for them. I mean, I'm here for them. There's other people that are here for them. To end this now, what thing would you, do you think they really need to be aware of? I think over time, the concept of conscious entrepreneurship has been more and more coming up to me. Um, and I think that not only does it benefit the world, but it also benefits that person on their journey to really understand why you love what you do, that you feel like passion and pleasure associated with that. Because if you don't, you won't stay on the journey long enough, or at least you won't enjoy it. So where it's like, why do it? You should be enjoying yourself in my personal opinion. So the people that, that work with me, I really try to get them to the point where they're not just, I have to get this to the top to make a bunch of money or because I don't know what else to do. It's this deeply rooted desire to either make a change for the planet or for themselves to where they feel really good about their work. And, and that's the way I think a little bit more of a soulful success is the way in, in my personal opinion to go about it rather than, I don't know what else to do. That seems okay. I'm going to take a stab at it, which there's nothing bad about that. I've done that way too many times to count, but at this point, at this age, I want to stop stabbing at the wind and I want to kind of bring all of my assets together to really make change for my life and the planet. So I would say keep stabbing until you finally get to the point where you're like, okay, I'm ready to put all of these pieces together and make it something appropriate for everybody that needs it. And, and that's the thing. Don't make the mistake of just blindly running into anything and everything that you see being successful for someone else. Mm -hmm. um, it won't be as successful for you if you are not in love with it or feeling pretty passionate about it. Yeah. And what is your, what are you really passionate about? Like, what is that one thing that gets you up in the morning? I think it's the destigmatizing the, the shadow side of everything. It's, it's being um, intimate with people that you work with in a, in a healthy way and with your, your cons consumers. And I don't know, I just feel like more and more we're, we're getting okay with the idea of intimacy and using business as a way to transmute your experience and to grow and learn from it in a beautiful way. And if you're afraid of the, the pitfalls or the shadow aspect of it, you're not really going to have a fully embodied experience. Mm -hmm. And, and I think that that's what people should be doing is experiencing life through their connections, through their business, through anything that they do, um, rather than just trying to check a list. So yeah, I'm really passionate about guiding people through that and making them feel really good about every side of their lives and every side of their existence. And that's the, the joy that I've gotten out of this recently. That's amazing. You've done some amazing things in your own life. Love to keep in touch with you. Well, thank you very much for coming. Oh, and how can people find you? I am super active on my Instagram, Mushroom Mamacita, and um, my website, storyxstyle.com. I have a lot of the different ways to maybe work with me on there. So uh, I really appreciate you having me on your platform. It's been a great conversation. It's, I love these conversations and thank you very much. Thank you for joining me and Bijou today on Brand Appeal, Brand Storytelling in the Digital Age. If you have a brand story that you'd like to share on Brand Appeal, please go to marketappeal.com to connect with me. Peel out.